Welcome to episode 483 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 483 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm really good. Why is that? Because I'm lying on the beach in Kaiteri. You're just, just interrupting, inter- interrupting we're, we're, my it's show. It's like Star Trek. It's a new kind of technology where you can mm. be in two places at once. Very good internet connection we've got here. I tell you, it's amazing. You don't even hear the beach sounds. Yeah. It's a good, good mic as well. We're liars. I'm actually, we're pre-recording this week's You're show. A liar. And we actually recorded it last week. But it is our first big Kona build-up show. Okay, and for that reason, we've got a couple of interviews on the show, but we're going to talk about that in a second. First of all, let's talk sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our team of patrons. And these include Stuart Smith, Agent Neo. Joseph Carabork, The Night Shadow. Good old Gavin Kieran. He's Wings, Gavin Wings Kieran. Bevan, uh, not Bevan, Brett, Brent the Rattler Shepherd. Dave, Crazy Fire Haywood. There we go. Nice work. And this week's show, guys, because we are pre-recording, we're going to do a really quick little kind of kick off to Kona. Uh, then we've got two interviews. And who are they with, John? We've got Mel, oh, you have to get her surname <laughs> yeah. pronunciation correct, Holstein, uh, who is the Australian 70.3 legend who is going to be racing Kona for the first time and sharing her experiences on getting there. It's been a bit of a rocky road and not really sure what sort of shape she's going to be in, but if she is in good shape, she could be a contender. Yeah, for sure. And then we also have... Joe Skipper by popular demand. Yeah, nice guy too. You Pommy listeners have been emailing us and saying, get him on the show, get him on the show. And I thought, really good. So this week's show is very much about the some Iron Virgins going over there. It's his first time racing in Kona, or Iron Man Kona Virgins. Yep. And so both these guys are going in thinking they know what they're in for, not really knowing it until they, they get over there. Um, but both could be could go really well. Joe's a real strong biker, finished second in Texas, and uh, really can lay it down on the bike, and he can run. Um, sw- swims a little bit weak, but yeah, could be someone who could be there or thereabouts. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, guys, so let's let's talk a little <coughs> bit about kicking off our Kona build-up with two interviews. So, John, what, what do you want to do here? Oh, well, there's just a couple of little Kona facts. I, I found this fact out. Um, Sharif from, from Sydney was telling me yesterday about this fact that I didn't really know that it's pretty fascinating because we're all going to be doing our picks over the next few weeks thinking yeah. this guy's going to win, this guy's going to be the dark horse, he's going to take it on debut. This was a fact that uh, Triathlete Magazine came out with last year on their triathlon.competitor website and they had all these different Kona facts. This was a really interesting one that hadn't really thought about before. This was from last year. In 17 of the last 18 years, the men's winner was a top four finisher the year before. Oh, that's very interesting. You've had nobody really come through out of the blue and just take the title from either. So f- I wonder what the one year it wasn't. Who was well, it? I thought that straight. I got that straight away, uh, and I presume it would have been the year that Luke Van Leerd won. Would that have been the last? He was. He won in '96, I think. Something about then. So I think he would be the one. Luke Van because he came out of nowhere. He hadn't even done Kona. I don't even. I don't even think he'd done an Ironman. 
So really, kind of, it's pretty rare for someone to come along and win the first year. It's very rare. Yeah. It doesn't happen in the last 18 years except for one occasion. last 19 years, one occasion. Every other year, the person who's won has been in the top four, which really shows you've got to go top there and do your even. apprenticeship. Mm. So, you know, so then this year, based on that, who were four last year? So last year we had in first place Keenley, Keenley. second place we had um, you know, I'm pulling, pulling it up, up right now. Hoffman, Hoffman, Fredino and Potts. So your winner is going to be one of those. Well, if you're a betting person, you would have put your money on Fredino or Keenley, wouldn't you? You you would, yeah. You know, so that seemed. And then the girls, you had Miranda. I don't think this rule does not stand for the girls. Oh, doesn't it? No, okay. Because obviously we it, there may still be some stat we can pull out of it. <laughs> Torsten, there's a job for you, but if we would have had uh, yeah, Chrissy, won. Chrissy, yeah. Chrissy would have come in. Um, like Michaela Jones, she she won on. It's day probably still pretty true because right? you know Chrissy won six times. So actually, I think Michaela <laughs> Jones. Um, I think she finished second the first what year. year did she, win? she did. She, she, won fin- she finished second. 2006, she won it. And the year in I was there, 2005, she, she was second. second yeah. Natasha Baden passed her on the run. So it may, st- it may stand pretty well on the girls as well. Leander Cave, the year she won in 2012, she was third the year before. And then Marinda Carfrey. I think it will because we had dominating characters. Because Baden won it so many years in a row. Mm. And she was always, if she didn't win it, she was always in top four. And then, like Laurie Bowden, she won it, and she was third the year before. So actually, it probably is third. Chris, Chrissy is probably just about the only one who came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Natasha Badman, she's still won in Laurie won two thousand and one, the year before in two thousand. She finished uh, in. Oh, she won. The year she she didn't get in the top four the year before. Right. Okay. So that was in two thousand and. Oh, but we're going back to eighty seven, ninety seven now. Hmm. So actually, it's probably pretty, consistent pretty with the girls true with well. girls. Not as, you know, not 9, 18 out of 17 out of 18, but mm. still pretty consistent. That, it's okay. It's so, a great stat. It, well, it really is, isn't it? It should have really been on Statstastic, but I didn't come up with it, so I can't claim it. Well, you often don't come up with Statstastic. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> good try. Okay, I'll give it to you. You're probably... Statstastic, John. There you go. So based off this year, if we look at the guys, Keenlay, Hoffman, Fredino, Potts, in terms of my... this year? Sorry? What's Hoffman done this year? Uh, he's done a few okay results. Yeah, but he hadn't done much last year either. No, but in that terms was a stellar result last yeah. year. So I think most most of us are probably going to put our money on either Fredino or Keenlay. And let's take be honest, the title. most of us are probably say Fredino, aren't we? Yes. Yes. I did my picks for Torsten yesterday uh, for his uh, try rating report that'll be coming out. So. Yeah, there's a few people you could sort of throw in the mix and say they could take the win. But like last year, I think we probably picked Bevan maybe last year or the year before we picked Bevan Doherty. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, and so there's lots of guys that have got the talent to go out there and do it. But He hasn't updated his, his 2015 results page, Hoffman. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So I would think, and then on the girls' side of things, you've got Carfrey, Reef, Joyce and Swallow from last year. Again, I'd put a fair amount of money that probably one of those four would win. I'd be putting, I think, again, it's not a hard pick. Most people are going to be picking Daniela Reef or Miranda Carfrey to take it. You'd be surprised if one of those two didn't win it. But, you know, someone like Caroline Stephan, she had an amazing 70.3 the other day. Joyce, could, could Joyce, Joyce's desire she was, is going to be pretty, pretty high. She was in the top four last year. So oh, outside she, of it, you mean? Yes, yeah, so if we look at outside the top four, I think this rule might well stand for this year as well. Very interesting. So let's have a look at last year's top 10 male and females. This okay, is, so we'll uh, go girls first, eh? Girls first. Liz Blatchford, she dropped down the field a little bit last year. Uh, she finished in 9.23. Uh, 
Ninth place, Mary Beth Ellis. She had, uh, yeah, not her ideal race. She only ran a 3.21. She was right up there off the bike, you know, right up there with faded, the Kerners and, and faded on the run through a 9.20. Pretty close racing between those uh, few places there. Gina Crawford was just a minute in front, uh, would have come through late in the run, 9.19. Liz Lyles, a very good runner, 3.03. She was a 9.18. And then Julia Geiger was sixth. Caroline Steffen was fifth, Jodie Swallow was fourth, Rachel Joyce was second, Daniela Reef third, Rachel Joyce was second, oh, bloody hell, I can't get it right, Joycey was third, Daniela <laughs> Reef was second despite leading for a big chunk of the race and Marinda Carfrey ran a 2.50 to win Which was, to me was one of the greatest Ironman races of all time, yeah. her, her fight to get that win, because I remember, you guys listened to it, but I remember... Being on Lehi Drive and with the Australian crew of Tash, Iron Tash, and the you know those guys, and um, and we we were just doing splits and she can't win it. Mm. Like, it's, just, it's just not possible. There's no way, mm. and because Reef was running well, and mm. you know you, she may have faded, but you know like unless she totally blew. Mm. But it was and it wasn't like Reef faded. Sure, three out, three out seven. It's still one of she the. She didn't blow. No, you know. And Rennie just was a legend, man. Mm. Far out. I was so impressed with that result. So she's run 250 two years in a row now, um, which is real impressive. Such a weapon to pull out, isn't it? Ah, absolutely. You know, like that's a problem for those girls in front of her. She had an off year the year before that, but then the year before that she ran 252. Pretty consistent performer. And she had a great rote this year, so... Yeah, Reese's been pretty under, under, you know, yeah. unbeatable this year, so it's going to be fascinating. I think Rennie's going to need to run that two fifty ish again to have a chance because Reef is going to be off the front, and the other girls are going to be spanking it on the bike as well. Yeah. So I think she will need to pull out that uh, two fifty again. So it could did be. Did she have a bad great. ride last year? Like she did, didn't she? she? No, she, she did. She was she was solo for a lot of it. I think. Yeah, that's right. I remember she she kind of had a bad ride. But. This, you know, there's advantages to that. It means you're riding an even output, whereas the other girls were on a pace line, like the guys, there's a lot more surging, but going harder, but going easier. And she was just able to do her own thing, and that's probably what helps her with her run. Pretty impressive. That was, that was just mind-blowing, because I, I, there was no way I thought she was going to do it. And then when she came across that line, because I was behind the line, so I wasn't quite sure what was happening. Mm. And, uh, man, it was impressive. Boy side of things. Boy side of things. We had a really different mix. I mean, yeah. the, the, the top ten last year... You would have picked a few of them, but not that many of them. Yeah. Unless you, a lot of uh, many did. No, really European feel to it as well, from sort of fifth through tenth. So tenth place, Roman Guillaume. Normally you'd say that guy's, you know, really good swim biker. Usually explode on the run, but he ran two fifty nine. It hung tough and yep. uh, eight thirty for tenth place. Bart Aronotz didn't have the run that he's often had. He only ran two fifty. We've seen him run, you know, two four low two forties before. Uh, he was in ninth. Frederick Van Leerd. I think he was maybe second or third in the energy lab, but faded on the second part of the run for, for, for eighth. Tim Van Burkel came through really nicely on the run uh, in the seventh, so a bit of a breakthrough for him, and he won 70.3 in Sunshine Coast in pretty impressive fashion a couple of weeks ago. Nils Fromhold, he was sixth. Cyril Vinol from France was in fifth. Maybe I got that wrong. Nils, Nils was sixth. Cyril was fifth. Andy Potts. A bit a of a race. breakthrough race with a 248. That's a great run from a big guy. Eh? Yeah. That's a great run. And really close racing there. He was in fourth uh, and you know, only a minute behind Jan Fredino, who ran a 247. We know he had some so difficulties Jan on the bike. Him basically on the run. Mm. Wow. And then Ben Hoffman had the race of his life. 
Yeah, really did, didn't he? You know, it does Ben become a bit of a Luke McKenzie where, you know, McKenzie, we mm. haven't seen him come back. You know, maybe it was only a couple of years ago, uh, but it would be great to see McKenzie come back and have a similar result where he got in 20, 2013 where he pulled off the second place. Um, is this a bit of those one and dones or, you know, can he come back and kind of match well, that? I think on the podium you're always going to have that person who's a swim, strong biker, hangs tough on the run. So the year before, it was Luke McKenzie and Freddie Van Laird sort of falls in that category as well. Yeah. He's, a, he's a bit better runner than those guys. Ben Hoffman's the same. He didn't set the world on fire with the run. So he ran a 251, but because of that swim-bike combo, got himself in a good position. So I think more likely than not, we'll probably see one of those swim bikers on the, the Look podium. at Keenley's bike from last year. That is amazing. So if you look at the top 10 guys, the faster of the top 10 guys are doing a 2 4 to 32 um, going right up to you know the four, high four thirties. Four thirty-seven was uh, Bart Arnott. Four twenty. Seventeen minutes on the bike. He put into another pro athlete. That's impressive. That, like Jan Fredino. Like yeah, we know it wasn't Jan's greatest day, but seventeen minutes. Seventeen. Now he does. He does come from a, a sort of a, a around about a three to four minute deficit in the swims. So yep. He does have to be stronger on the bike, but he just that crushed is, it. Yeah, he really did. You kind of get the feeling he's going to have to crush it again to beat Fredino. Fredino, we know that. Can uh, he run better than that? Like he did a two fifty two. Can can uh, probably Keenlay. not off a bike. Not off a bike like that. Look, we've seen Sebastian Keenley. You know, at Worlds, he had a faster run split than Gomez, who was off his game, um, and also Fredino, who spanked on the bike. So both of them had pretty poor runs by their standards. So Keenley is a really good runner, but if you blitz a bike like that, your runner's going to be compromised. So. Yeah, he's shown that he can. Even if he doesn't blitz the bike, he can. He could still run onto the podium, um, but I think he's going to need a reasonable lead on Fredino, and and by reasonable, I'm thinking close to ten minutes to be feeling sort of safe. Fredino could quite easily spank out a, a two forty if he if he was on fire. I'd love to see it because mm. Pete Jacobs is the, is the fastest we've seen in a long time he's 241 242 yeah yeah so you know it's been you know like it's the, it's the third fastest of all time mm. other than Mark and Dave um, but know. Fredino could uh, he could blow it out of the water I mean he could quite easily run a 235 yeah, he's, we've he's, said that for years we've said we? that for years yeah. but Fredino is a different standard of runner to say Crowe and things like that yeah. if he gets it right Pace it well, nutrition's well, conditions are right. He's a better runner than those guys. Whether he can do it or not, it's a different question. Yeah. Well, so this is why we love this time of year, John, because Kona is just the the mecca of our world. And I tell you what, it's pretty exciting. Think about who watching this race in a few weeks' time. John, but we're going to get some interviews on. So who are we going to get on first? Mal Holstein. We do a bit of an intro when we start in. So here she comes. Okay. Righty-ho, guys. Uh, on this week's show, it's sort of our first big Kona build-up show. We've got a lady who's been in our sport, a three-time world champion, two 70.3 titles and an ITU world long-distance title amongst uh, about a gazillion 70.3 wins around the world. Um, on the running front, <laughs> before a life, gazillion. Yeah, before life as a triathlete, she was a Commonwealth Games medalist uh, in running, sort of generally specialising in the steeplechase. So I'll be keen to hear a bit more about that. But this year is going to be the first crack at the big kahuna in Kona. So it's Mel Holstein. I'm probably going to get that wrong. I wish you'd kept your maiden name, but uh, how do you pronounce your surname, Mel? It's Hauschild. Oh, it wasn't, wasn't even close. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. 
Uh, where's your husband from? Is that sort of German or Austrian, or where's that from? Yeah, the, the name's German, but he's Australian. It's it's quite a few generations back, so we're both Aussie. Very good. But where are you based now, Mel? I'm in Boulder at the moment. Um, okay. Just been here, or been in the States about a month, been in Boulder just over a week. And and why why the move there? I mean, you live in Noosa. It's probably a pretty reasonable um, winter over there, but why the, why the move to Boulder for your Kona prep? Um, the altitude, really, this year. Um, I just wanted to get to altitude. Um, I've had a very limited prep. I've only just started running, so um, hopefully the altitude will speed up the fitness. But um, now, usually I come over here because I race the US season. I do half a dozen races before mm. World Champs, so it's all happening over here at this time of the year. Cool. Now, you come from athletics, um, and you obviously got to a really high level in terms of, uh, I, think, I think I saw maybe 11th at the World Cross Country Champs, and just, you know, really one of the dominant figures in Australia. Maybe contrast for us the, the life as a, a runner, and assuming you did that professionally, compared to what you do these days as a triathlete. Uh, as a runner, you got a lot more time. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're only training like two hours a day, three max if you're adding in gym and, and a massage. So there's a lot of free time and um, I actually prefer being a triathlete because I'm, I'm more busy. I as a, as a runner, I wasn't working as well and you're just sitting around waiting for your next session and it's it's tiring sitting around. So, um, yeah, triathlon, a lot more hours training and, um, yeah, I absolutely love the bike. So I love going out for a ride for six, seven hours. It's pretty awesome and um in, in terms of the toll i mean i know you've had a lot of injuries over the years but in terms of the the actual training i'm, I'm picking you know your running would have been a lot more high intensity a lot more speed work um how, how do you sort of feel in terms of the levels of fatigue that you go through again sort of contrasting triathlon with your with your athletics yeah, it's it's different. Like triathlon, you you're more fatigued because there's a lot more hours training. But with running, you can't do too much because it is so intense. And you know, I'm on the track twice a week, and then I'm doing fast hill reps another time. I'm running up to 150k a week as a pure yeah. runner. So um, even though you got a lot more time, it's a lot harder on the body and um, physically. Um, like triathlon. You know, you might be fatigued, but you can keep pushing through, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, in, in track running, if if you get lactic and that bear jumps on your back, you you pretty much come to a standstill and <laughs> there's no more, there's no point doing another rep. You can't go any further. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot more intense. Were, were you always an athletic kid? Like, like obviously, you're a very talented woman. But did, were you always brought up running? Like, what's your kind of history that got you into sport? Um, none of my family is into sport. I'm the odd one out. <laughs> um, but no, I started um, in primary school. I just did the school cross country uh, when I was 11 years old and made it through to state. And then the next year I started running a couple of times a week um, just with a local coach. And then I won the nationals for cross country as a 12-year-old. And oh, really? I think that's that's when I yeah really started to like it and, and got into it. And yeah, just been running ever since. <laughs> Now, with you running these days, um, you know, you're a, I don't know, well, I've, I, I did have a look at your times yesterday, but it was bloody quick, you know, over 3K and stuff. And, you know, when you're running, you know, three-minute K pace there relative to what you're running now, um, 
and you're putting out some amazing run splits at the races you do, but it's still pretty slow compared to your running days. Do you feel slow when you're running these days or is it just different and you've just moved on? Yeah, now in, I'm into my fifth year, so um, I'm a bit used to the pace of half Ironman, Ironman. But, yeah, my first year, I it felt so slow and I just had to make sure, because I wasn't used to going for 21K off the bike, I had to really look at my watch and make sure I didn't, you know, go out too hard and everything. And, you know, I remember Jared saying, you know, no faster than 345K, mm. like, 345k when you're a 3k runner that's like a walk <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know at the end of 21k you're feeling it so um yeah at the start it was really hard to to slow down at the start of the race um but now no i'm not sure if i could run under three minutes a k now <laughs> yeah but what about the camaraderie because i imagine when you're you know representing australia it's i <clears throat> There's a lot of support. <clears throat> John and I are both losing our voices here. Uh, there was a lot of support. Uh, B, you kind of there's that team thing happening. So, what's been the contrast between that and being a full time professional triathlete? Yeah, I much prefer the life now. <laughs> oh, you do? I didn't. Yeah, I'd, I. You know, you might you might get some trips paid for, and um, you know, you travel with the team and you eat with the team and stuff like that. But I guess it's the same in ITU. You. You have to do certain races, and you get told where to go and um, where to stay and what to do, and it's very structured, I guess. At, and with triathlon, I can do whatever I want. I can, I can go race in Mexico if I want, or I can race in Australia. Or I can base anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, it's just I can do whatever I want. So much prefer it. <laughs> cool. Now, yeah, early on, you you very much specialised in seventy point threes, and that's been the majority of your triathlon career up until last year, where you had your first crack at Ironman. And you know, you were you lined up for Kona last year, um, but I'm pretty sure you got injured before the race because I, I remember we were going to try to line up an interview with you. So, what what sort of happened last year before Kona? Um, last year was kind of a freak, freak accident. Um, it was three days before the 70.3 world champs. I had a massage and it went terribly wrong. Um, yeah, walked away with dislocated ribs and, um, a torn pec. So So what happened there? They just went through hardcore? Uh, he, he slipped. Um, yeah, I guess it was just an accident. He was just pushing down on the pec and then just slipped off the sternum and yeah, down into the ribs. So, um, Yeah, it was, it was pretty painful and wiped out the, the back end of my year. Um, but, yeah, got, got back up for, for this year for, for Melbourne Ironman and qualified and, and then injured myself again. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But, but why Ironman? You know, when you're doing so well at 70.3s um, and just dominating the dojo pretty much in anywhere you, you went, what was the sort of driving ambition to, to then sort of double the distance when it sort of negates a little bit of your speed was it something you felt you needed to just go and do because see what see what it's like or was it something that you were really driven to get to Kona uh, when I first started I always wanted to do Kona um, I just wasn't sure when and I guess early on because I won the world champs my first year at 70.3 the next year I was pressured into doing it so I mm. I kind of ramped it up and tried to make Kona 2012 and and got injured so then delayed it a couple of years and yeah I guess last year I I guess I was pressured into into doing it again because I'd won the world champs again in 2013 um and I still think I wasn't quite ready for it um 
but yeah, this year I, I thought, you know, it's my fifth year in the sport now. I'm, I'm ready. I want to give it a go. And I didn't want to wait too long. I'll get too old and won't be able to do it at all. So yeah, um, yeah this year I, I finally feel like I'm, I'm ready to give it a go now maybe just talk us through melbourne a bit because i remember i was watching the the coverage and it certainly looked like you you won ugly um you got yourself in a position <laughs> off the bike where you're just going oh she's just gonna you know just bang out you know a, a three-hour marathon and she's gonna win by you know 15 minutes or something like that but whilst at the end it wasn't super close um yvonne van vlerken was uh did look like she was sort of closing the the, the, the gap at one stage um tell us a bit about you know, the, the entire race and then the, the challenges you had on the run? Um, yeah, it, it was all going good for the first, like, 12K on the run. Um, mm. it, Jared just told me, you know, just sit on low fours, four minutes K, and um, it was all going good. The, the times were ticking over, and um, then my feet started heating up, and I, I've had this problem before. It's like these deep blood blisters under the ball of my foot, kind of like bone bruising. And, um, yeah, it started coming on at 12K and then 20K. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I got to 30K before I kind of threw in the towel a bit and it was it was stabbing in my feet and I just had to sit down on the ground and take mm. my shoes off. And um, Jared just popped out of the bush then. He said, you know, you still got a good lead and, you know, as long as you're running, you're, you're running faster than them. So I um, put Vaseline all on my feet and got up and shuffled for a bit and, there was a few more stops and then, yeah, I think it was the last 10K, just gritted my teeth and, and got to the finish line. <laughs> but, yeah, it was pretty painful. <laughs> and what were the implications after the race? Did, did, did I know you said you got injured, but was was it because of the race or was it stuff um, training afterwards? No, it was actually – I actually broke a rib three days before Melbourne Ironman. Not that oh. I knew at the time, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I definitely felt it after the race. So, um, How did you do yeah. that? Um, the doctor thinks it was from coughing. Oh, really? <laughs> I, yeah, I got a really bad chest infection um, Yeah, about five weeks before Melbourne Ironman. I was coughing nonstop for for like hours and hours straight and um went for two weeks and had to go on antibiotics and everything so yeah he thinks that's probably what started it maybe a bit of a stress fracture and then the running on it broke it through and I kept feeling it tightening up so it was three days before the race where I was like it's really tight and I got on the foam roller and kind of smashed it a bit and Mm. yeah and then I felt it go (laughs) so um what are your sort of feelings towards Ironman now? You know, you've now you've done two. You've done Melbourne and you had uh, Ironman Australia, I think it was the the year before. How have you yeah. sort of felt about doubling the distance? Um, do you prefer it to seventy point three, or are you, are you liking the sort of the big endurance challenge? Uh, I actually enjoyed Melbourne, other than the blisters. Um, yeah, just the challenge of it, the the mental challenge to to go for that long. Um, Port Macquarie, I'm in Australia the year before. I did not like it at all. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared. Um, Jared sprung it on me three three weeks before the race. And oh, really? I, wow. Yeah, because <laughs> I just had to validate that year. I just had to finish. Um, he said, just just go there and just finish. And, you know, I'm not one to just finish. I wanted to win the thing. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> it, was, it was pretty pretty painful but um no melbourne i i enjoyed it and i actually enjoyed the training leading up to it um the longer stuff and yeah i just yeah i'm a bit bit nervous about kona because i've 
I've only been running for a few weeks now. Um, but yeah, hopefully I go all right, and and hopefully next year it will be a lot better preparation. Can I ask your your mental attitude? You know, because you're you're an athlete who wins. You know, just on your results page here, and it's just like a history of winning, really. Um, you know, yeah, it's not all the time, but you know, percentage-wise, you you seem to have a really great ability to win. Why why do you think you're so successful? Uh, <laughs> I guess I I want to win, <laughs> so I train really hard, and I think I I know how to find something extra on race day. Um, you know, I always pull out something special on race day a lot better than in training so um yeah just competitive i guess and want to win <laughs> and what's the so jared is your is your husband is it so you've mentioned him a number of times in terms of you know giving you um saying right we'll go do this race here or, or jumping out of bushes and races um so jared, <laughs> surprise <laughs> get your heart rate up go is uh, is jared coaching you as well yeah, yeah. So how is that relationship like? Um, because you know, we've, we've seen other examples of this. You know, in New Zealand, we've got um, Andrea Hewitt, our top ITU girl. She's coached by her her partner, and we've seen other instances of this happening. Um, how is it for you? And it must there must be some uh, some some good blow ups. I'm, I'm picking when you're a bit tired <laughs> and you don't want to do something, and he says you you have to, and then you're stuck with being with him for the next 24 hours when you're in a shitty mood. Yeah, I I guess. Um he was my husband long before he was my coach um and he's also neither of us have ever seen a triathlon program he's he's not a coach um Mm. it just started off I was swimming with a tri coach who wanted to coach me but every time he sent me a program I just didn't agree with it so I I started writing out my own program and then I asked Jared because he's a runner as well for a little bit of input on the run sessions now it's always hard telling yourself to do a hard session and you either go too hard or too easy. So I kind of left the running side over to him and then he started taking over, you know, the bike side and the swim side. And, um, yeah, so I guess he's, he's, it's not like he's my coach coach. It's more like he's my mentor and Mm. we kind of work through it together. So Yeah, I get a bit of input still. <laughs> cool. Now, yeah, obviously, kind of this year. Now, you said you haven't raced since uh, Melbourne, or I know, I know you had two results from this year: Melbourne and uh, Challenge. Uh, there was a Challenge race in there as challenge well. Melbourne, yeah. yeah. So I'm picking. You're probably going to be uh, on fire on the bike, um, even though your running might not be you know, at your all-time best. Uh, is your is your bike in pretty good shape? Yeah. Yeah. So I've. Had, I've still got the broken rib now. It's still broken. Um, I just had some pain management treatment to, to get back training at the moment. But, um, yeah, all through that I was able to bike on and off. Um, sometimes it got a bit too painful and I'd have a few days off. But, yeah, been biking right through and doing a bit of an elliptical um, mm-hmm. instead of the run. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully the bike's all good and be nice if I can get off with a 20-minute lead because, yeah, I have <laughs> no idea how I'm going to go the last 10K of the run. <laughs> What's your approach to race day? You know, because like, like for an athlete like you who's obviously very successful, there's a lot of races you turn up to, and I'm sure you just dominate. Uh, and then you'll be the occasional race which you'll have a good field, like a world championship in 7.3. And obviously, Kona's the pinnacle of you know of long distance triathlon, where the field is just everyone is pretty much rock stars. How do you kind of approach this race? Is it very different to what you'd normally do, or is it pretty much just another race? Um. Yeah, I guess being the world champs, it's always, you know, there's there's more pressure on everyone and um, 
you know, everybody is going to be in top shape. You, you know, nobody's going to be standing on that start line half fit except me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think everybody finds a little bit more um, come World Champs Day. So it's going to be a really strong field. And, um, you know, when I'm on the start line, I'm not going to be thinking I've only been running for six weeks. I'm going to say I'm just as fit as anyone else here. And because um, I think, you know, the mental side of it really plays a big part and whoever wants it the, the most, like we're all as fit as each other. Um, but yeah, whoever wants it the most usually is the one that comes out on top. And have you been out to Kona before and, and what, do, what are your sort of expectations around the course? Yeah, I went last year, um, obviously, because I was going to race. Um, and yeah, I rode the whole bike course and ran the whole run course, not all in one go. Um, so yeah, check, checked it all out. And um, I think it's, the course will suit me. Um, you know, the, the bike is, it's not hilly. It's just, you know, those long, long gradual climbs. So, um, you know, riding around here in Boulder is, is very similar to that. And um, yeah, hopefully I can have a really good ride. And then the heat and humidity, I, I love that. I, I don't do too well in the cold. So um, yeah, hopefully it suits me. Just wish we could wear a wetsuit in the swim. <laughs> but it looks like your swimming improved. You know, your swim in Melbourne looked, um, whilst you weren't with the, the leaders, it looked pretty respectable. I mean, you were well in front of people like Yvonne Van Vluchen. Yeah, um, my swim actually gets better over the longer distance. Um, I've just got no speed, and when I actually try to go faster, I go slower. So, um, <laughs> 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 even in Melbourne, um, you know, that group that I came out with, um, Rini and a few of other decent swimmers, they actually got way ahead of me at the start and I reeled them back in. I'm just so slow off mark. Um, but, yeah, uh, before Melbourne Ironman, I was actually only swimming three days a week, whereas I'm usually swimming seven days a week, 6K sessions. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is with my swim. It doesn't seem to get too bad or too much better if I swim or not. So, mm. <laughs> hopefully it's where it, it, it usually is even though i haven't been swimming that much now <laughs> so i know this is a bit kind of a strange well not strange but when you because you've had such a different career you know you've had such a kind of a successful career in another area and you transferred over into triathlon what have been your real career highlights uh i guess winning my first world champs was pretty special um with running you know i always thought i'd I'd make it to the Olympics and I'd, I'd be world champion and I had these dreams ever since I was 12 years old and just I never got there. I always got injured before every Olympics and before every major race and I just really feel like I had so much unfinished business. So when I finally won the world champs in triathlon, that was, that was probably the, the biggest achievement, the yeah. one I'm most proud of. Um, but, yeah, second at Com Games, you know, I was, I was really happy with that. Um, but again, I did it off such limited prep because of injuries and, yeah, just don't feel like I achieved all what I could in running. <laughs> with, with, with regards to the Olympics, you obviously didn't end up going there. What was it like not to make it? Because, you know, like for, for you guys, it's the pinnacle, isn't it? And it's almost like everything you work towards. And obviously you felt you could be competitive at the Olympics. So, you know, for a lot of athletes, just even turning up is a bit of an achievement. Um, but so talk to us about maybe what it was like not to get there. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough, I guess, too, because I was, you know, I was Australian champion for so many years in a row and beating all the other Aussie girls and 
and you know they all went to the Olympics and I didn't so it just it seemed really it was it was hard it was hard watching them go there when I knew you know I'm so much faster than them I'm, yeah. <laughs> I should be there but um yeah every time the Olympics rolled around I'd I'd get injured and in the end I was only getting three four months of training before I'd, I'd break down again so yeah I guess it just wasn't for me but now I, I kind of wish I could go back to running because I feel so much stronger now after all the bike and and the swimming and you know I haven't had hardly any injuries related to you know running now um so yeah it was it was tough times <laughs> yeah. oh well, well we'll watch the space Mar- marathon <laughs> the next Commonwealth they have the marathon the Commonwealth Games they do, do, they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah they do yeah, yeah. Marathon. What would you what do you reckon you pop out a marathon in? Just a, if you actually train, you know, give it a good few months and. Oh, I have no idea. I've only run walk, walk run those two <laughs> in the Ironman. So I haven't even run a half marathon fresh yet. Really? Oh, goodness! Wow! No. Oh, there's a whole <laughs> untapped world out there. Oh, mate! So whole new world. <laughs> it, it sounds like um, there could be some interesting times on the horizon. Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I don't. I don't know a lot of people are picking you for Kona, given that you haven't done um, a lot this year. But you've certainly got the pedigree. The pedigree to go out there and cause some surprises. So if people do want to follow you, um, what's the best way to do that? Um, uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Um, I think they're all Mel Hauschel. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're obviously really committed. <laughs> yeah. I think it is. Pretty easy, yeah. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just all Mel Hauschel, so. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And any plans post-Kona? Um, or I'll see how the rib goes. Um, it's it's still broken, and it's it seems it's broken for life. So I'm yeah, it seems sure. to be a long recovery. Why why is it so slow? Uh, well, it's it's actually it's calcified on either end. Still uh. got a gap in the middle though, so it's not able to heal now. Um, oh really? So yeah, the doctor actually told me your career's over because you can't operate on it. It's, um, it's too close to the spine, so they can't plate it. They can't wire it because it would pierce the lung. So, um, yeah, last-minute last, last minute thing, I found a pain specialist who was able to paralyse the nerve to um, kind of cut off the pain signal to the brain. So oh, really? it's still broken, <laughs> but um, I can't feel it at the moment. Yeah. But that treatment only lasts up to nine months. So, um yeah, after Kona, I guess I'll keep searching. Um, we've talked to over 20 surgeons in Australia and, and nobody could help me. So I guess we'll start looking worldwide now and, and see if anyone can fix it and, yeah, see what I can do. <laughs> what are the risks? Of surgery? Well, no, like, or, like or, you know, because what it sounds like what you're doing is really just fooling yourself to say there's no pain right now. So what, what are the risks? Uh, I- yeah, um, no, all the doctors, all the surgeons said I won't do any more damage. Um, okay, oh, that's the, good. Yeah, the, rib, the rib's broken, so it's got more movement, um, but it won't pierce the lung and, yeah, it's not doing any more damage. Oh, okay, so good. we just needed to cut that pain signal to the brain and let the brain know, you know, you're not doing damage, you can train on it, you just need to get rid of the pain. <laughs> just <laughs> so, just yeah. chop, chop it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure oh. you can find someone in Asia or something who yeah. can just get in there and chop the thing out. That's that's the thing. All the surgeons in Australia are a bit too conservative. Oh, Nobody's so seen ethical. it before. <laughs> Wait, we said that. We said just take the rib out, or you know, just <laughs> yeah, do something. But no, nobody can help me yet. So 
Hopefully wow. we get some answers later in the year. We do have a few surgeons that listen to the show that I know of, so we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll, we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up. John Newsom, surgeon. It's got a good ring to it. Awesome. Now, yeah. we, we, look, we look forward to seeing how Kona goes, and um, hopefully it is not the last we see of you because it's uh, always fun seeing you getting out there and absolutely ripping it on the run, as well as uh, mm-hmm. your bike has become an absolute uh, weapon as well. So, yeah, kick butt in Kona. And, guys, um, we'll have some links through to Mel's website and stuff on the show so you can uh, follow her progress and see how it's all going so have a great race and good time in Kona thanks guys thanks for the interview right <laughs> fascinating thinking about her eh? you know like someone who like hey that disappointment of never getting to the Olympics that must you know because for those Olympic athletes that's everything to them oh, isn't it? absolutely man and I don't also whilst that is everything um, I think in athletics terms we often don't get as we don't give um, Australians, Europeans, and stuff enough credit for how well they do it. World, world cross countries is a big deal. And eleventh, mm. she got eleventh. I, I think, think she got ninth. Ninth. Yeah, that is a big result. Yeah, it's a really prestigious race. What, what are they doing in a cross country? What's the distance? Uh, I don't know what the, the guys is usually twelve k's. I think yeah. I'm not sure what the girls is. And either when six or country, nine. How, how hilly is it? Or is it more just? Oh, it's just a mixture. The, the big thing with cross country is. They have to blitz to the first yeah. 500 metres. It's just because it just narrows up so quickly. Yeah. And they have big fields. You just got to absolutely blitz it. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, no, very impressive. Yeah, she was a great runner. I didn't actually realise that she was that good a runner until I started doing my research. Like, she was the, the real McCoy, you know, yeah, best she- in Australia for a long time and properly world class. And then, obviously, well, the nice thing for an athlete like you, because I imagine, you know, most track and field athletes, your career's done, mm. and then you can move into a sport. Like it's amazing we don't see more track and field athletes move into triathlon. But yeah, they generally can't swim. Um, but she's, I think she was fell in that basket when she first started. Pretty crappy swim, but she's got to swim to, you know, she's as good as running and stuff now. Coming out of the water. Cyclists come over. You know, you, you know, mm, you, true. Of, you know, like it's amazing we don't see more runners come to triathlon mm. because she's an example of, you know, you can be really successful in doing it. So. Mm. Um, sponsor John. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Nice work, Bevan. So we've got Kona coming up. It's got the big shows all about. If we look at last year's uh, page on Athlinks.com, you get a bit of a feel. Again, I talked about this last week. Seeing what the standard's like, you can actually go through and see where some of these people have come from. Um, So you know, our first Athlinks finisher last year was Antonio Ferreira de Da Silva Nito, and he was actually third in my age group, oh, 35 right. to 39. Nice. But you can also go through, and often we, we look at the, the top kahunas, but we can also go through and you know look at some of the guys that are that are you know further down the pack. So you guys that are aspiring to get to Kona, um, to sort of see you know what sort of path some of these people have, have taken to get there. So I'm sort of looking here, I've gone down to sort of places 600 plus so i'm going to choose a guy called uh, a female sorry called yana Riktkova. and let's see she was in the she's in the 30 to 34 age group so let's see she finished in 1021 nice effort and then we're going to go off and find out a bit more about yana um, the, the tension's building here, Bevan. Well, no, because I've gone in a different direction. I've gone um, down to the person who got last in Kona last year. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so Clinton Barnes. This is really interesting. Clinton <laughs> Barnes, he got absolutely last. Now, he must have a pretty crappy day because if you look at his results, he's an Ironman Australia, Ironman New Zealand, um, Ironman Australia this year, 
and Ironman Port Macquarie. Now, in Ironman Australia's first time, he did a 14-hour, but then he did a sub-13. He's basically a 12, late 12s kind of athlete. Kona, he got... 16 hours and 56 minutes, 37 seconds. He swam a, th- a 134, you know, pretty respectable. Biked a 728, pretty respectable. Ran <laughs> a 734. Whoa. So his run was a little slower than his bike. Mm, that's a down trail. That's, that's a long day at the office. He also had some... Pr- have we got transitions? No, we've got transitions here. So his run pace, his K pace, 17 minutes and 21 seconds a K. I think he had a little sit down well, somewhere there. It's probably a mile. Yeah, I think a little sit down somewhere. That is, to do that time for a marathon, you've had to sit down. That's pretty impressive. So, so I'm, I've chosen Jana Arikatova from Boston, Massachusetts in America. Boston. And she did Kona last year, did 10.21.29. And her path to getting there, she went to uh, Cozumel, 9.35. That's impressive, winning her age group, oh. 11th overall. Uh, previously in Kona 10.46, so heading in the right direction. So that's a cool thing. Um, yeah, we always we often look at the winners. Bevan's chosen to look at the last person. Well, I think I think he must have got a legacy slot because he's been doing Ironman since 2001. Right. So he did Ironman 2000 New Zealand. He's done Australia 2002, Australia. And how many is he, How many finishes he got there? He's got, 12, got his 12? He must have, yeah. Yeah. You know, so he probably, he probably got a legacy slot leading into the race. And he thought, hey, I've waited 12 years to get it. I'm going to get as much time out there as possible. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. So get get on here, guys. If you want to qualify for Kona or you're getting in the right sort of neck of the woods, you want to kind of see what the standard's like and how some of these athletes have got there, check it out, athlinks.com. There we go. You can check out who's last in your race. Clinton Barnes, we'll see you again. You can only do the Legacy of, once. Yeah. Still, well done, mate. You got there, you did the race. Um, John Bo, we've got another interview on. We have. So... We've had quite a few requests, and I've been holding off to get Joe Skipper. I thought, get him on before Kona. He's going to Kona. He's one of those guys, first-timer in Kona. Love the, the Pommies love him, and just one of those guys, real strong biker, steady runner, a um, little bit weaker in the swim. But he's one of those guys, if he has a smart race, top 10s, you know, I think any, just about any of the guys going to Kona, Girls, same thing. They're all capable of top 10. It's just uh, how they play the cards on the day. And we'll see how Joe goes, whether he, you'll hear in this interview about how he's going to pace his day, and we'll see how that works out, okay. which way he goes. Here's Joe Skipper. Righty-ho, on this week's show, we have uh, someone who had lots of requests for, to get on. All you Pommy listeners, are we pleased to got one of your top athletes on? He's Joe Skipper. He was second at Ironman Texas, third at the ITU World Long Distance Champs. Uh, not that it matters much. He was 24th in the rankings, and the rankings don't do too much. And he's currently in Kona, uh, getting ready for the big dance in a few weeks' time. So, Joe, welcome along to the show. Cheers. Thanks for having me on there, on there guys. Hey, um, obviously, we, we, on your website and stuff, and we've heard enough about you that you're you know, a bit of an uber biker and you come from a cycling background in your younger years. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to become a pro athlete after some initial success sort of at A-trip level. Um, well, I started off and I originally was uh, used to swim and run, and then my dad said to me when I was, this is when I was probably about 12, 13, I'll get you a bike and you can do a triathlon if you want. And I was like, what, like, what the hell's a triathlon? Um, he told me. <laughs> so um, I did that for about three or four years till I was about 16. No, till probably till I was about 17 and at 18. And then um, I went to uni um, and cycling didn't seem, or triathlon wasn't really uh, as cool there at the one what I was at then as uh, what cycling was. It just seemed like everyone was doing cycling. So um, 
I did that for about two, three years, um, worked my way up the um, the rankings. So I was never really, um, I never really trained really serious. Like, I mean, I trained quite a lot, but like our hard training sessions would just be going out for a ride with people and like smashing it. <laughs> there was never like any, any structure or anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did that for a few years, probably for about three years. And then uh, I went to Manchester Uni. I was at Essex then, but I changed course and ended up going to Manchester and uh, was cycling for a year up there it was really good uh, training with some decent cyclists um but then they moved away and um that you literally left to train by yourself and i thought i'm quite fancy giving a triathlon a go um this was back at the end of 2010 um so i looked online and i found a half iron man said to my dad you fancy coming along for it he was like yeah all right so um i did it and i really enjoyed it um and i thought oh, i wouldn't mind uh, doing some more of these uh next year so um looked up online to see if there's a club and uh, saw Manchester Triathlon Club and uh, absolutely loved it. The, I mean, the thing what I, I loved about the club was that the standard was so high that there was there was people that were like decent swimmers, decent runners, and there was always someone to push you. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a really good, uh, really good training sessions there. What, what size club is it? How big is the club in Manchester? Cool, it must be about... I think there must there's five six hundred members at the time probably something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's good. That's club. pretty solid. Yeah. Um, and and so I'm, I'm picking you know people like yourself maybe pretty instant success was it were you were you hitting the podium straight away how was it going in the early time early years? Um, well, my first full season was like 2011, um, and I won the national like it was basically the age group middle distance championships. Mm. Um, and I, do, I had quite a good run there as well, um, so I was quite I was pleased with that. And then uh, I got speaking to Lucy Gossage later in the year, and uh, she said to me, um, "You should try and race. Um, you should race uh, pro." And I was a bit like, Ooh, "I don't know. I don't want to get shown up, you know, to start off with." And she was like, "No, no, just do um, do the lesser races." And uh, sometimes uh, she said, "Some they'll give you free entries, and sometimes you even get put up." And I was like, "Bloody hell!" I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have some of this. So uh, <laughs> she, she gave me a few contacts um, to get started for some races and uh, did like, I think it was ICANN Mallorca um, at the end of that year, which is like a, they're basically a small like pro race. Uh, did, uh, and thought, yeah, actually it's pretty good uh, doing that. So then the following year, 2012, um, yeah, I started to I did basically just raced like the professional races. So at this stage, were you still studying? Yeah, um, I think I was still studying or working part time when I was up there. I think I was studying in 2010, and then the winter of 2010 going into 2000. No, I might have been studying going into 2011. I think I was studying going into 2011. I was still at uni, and then after 2011 going into 2012, um, I was working like in a triathlon shop part time. What, what, what were you studying? Sport management. Oh, nice. nice. Appropriate. Appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So what What was the, I mean, obviously, you know, there's racing pro and making a living out of it or racing pro and getting little paychecks here and there that are, it's nice to get some extra money, but it's not really going to sustain you. So what, what was your motivation to, to really, you know, go full on pro and actually try to make a career out of it, knowing, you know, pro- probably knowing how hard it is for you guys to make money at long long course racing when you're not getting any support from national federations or anything like that. Well, I've literally um, just been taking it one year at a time, really. Um, like two thousand and twelve, after two thousand and twelve, I thought I'd probably get a job. Two thousand and thirteen, 
But um, like at that time, I was, um, I think it was when I was at the end of 2012, I had, um, I'd won like a bit of money. I mean, nothing much. Like I ended up getting fifth place in Challenge Barcelona at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that got me like 2,000 euros, which in the grand scheme of things, not much. But to me at the time, it was uh, like win the lottery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, the uh, a guy who I knew who had been to a training center before in Spain said, "I'm setting this training center up, and um, if you're up for it, we want you and a few others to come out here. Um, you can you can stay for free. We'll give you 50 euros a week, um, and all you've got to do is um, see people when they're there, show them where the stuff is, like where the rooms are and everything like that, and just talk to them a bit when they, when they get here. And obviously, if they need like need someone to go to uh, to sort things out while they're there, you're you're the person. Yeah." Um, I thought, yeah, that sounds brilliant. So I thought with 50 euros a week, uh, free accommodation, obviously, and then some of the money what I won at Barcelona, I could carry on. Uh, that would set me up for the for that winter going into 2013. Yeah. And um, I thought if I do better in 2013, I could get some some more money, um, and well, just see how things go. So I did 2013, got a few more better results. Um, obviously, because I went to Spain, I ended up a lot. I, given up on my, my job what I had in Manchester I mean it's only a part-time one anyway so it wasn't uh, a big big deal um, but then in 2013 I ended up bit moving back home obviously after coming back from Spain um, so I wasn't really paying any rent my mum and dad helped me out loads with yeah. that um, and then I got some got more money at the end of the year and I was staying there with my mum and dad and I thought well I'll give it one, one more year and I'll, I'll see how things go and then 2014 I Got I got more money, um, and <laughs> and then ended up moving out, like staying with my girlfriend, like um, giving her like some rent and stuff to go there, and then that gets me into 2015 where I am now, and I'll see how it goes this year. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it doesn't quite sound like the the high flying lifestyle of the pro athlete that some people might think it is. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely not high flying. <laughs> what, what do you love about it? Because you're, you're, you're obviously. It, the carrot's still there, isn't it? You stick, you're kind of obviously managing your way through it. Um, what, what do you love about the lifestyle you have? I just love, uh, I love um, comp- like the training. I love, I love the racing. Um, like I just, I just absolutely love doing it. And um, I mean, I always think about it. If you think, put it like, if you think about other jobs and and stuff like that, if you got an apprenticeship, you'd start off and the money would be rubbish. Mm. Um, but if you do do really well, and like even in triathlon, if you do do really well, and you're getting up there and say like world champ races and other races, you, you're probably going to be getting reasonable money. But it's almost like your apprenticeship. Like you have to, you, you, no one jumps in at the top, do they? You start off at the bottom and you work your way up. Mm. And if you got it, you'll make it. And if you're not good enough, well, you won't, will you? <laughs> you just go and get a job. It's just uh, just comes down to that, really. Well, and your, your results have progressed, haven't they? You know, every year is just the kind of step forward from the last year, hasn't it been? Yeah, yeah, they've got they've definitely got better each year, and I can see in training like the numbers and stuff what I'm hearing that they're getting they're getting better and better. Hmm. So, in terms of planning your year for this year, was it always going to be around Kona, or was it going to be trying to do races? And if you get to Kona, that's great. Or was was Kona the the, the burning desire for this year? Um, well, I thought I'd do definitely do Texas because I knew it'd be a, a good standard field. Um, and obviously, I wanted to do Ironman UK because I haven't actually won it yet, and I really wanted to uh, to try and do that. Um, but uh, and I thought if I do them two races, if if I if I'm good enough, I'll uh, I'll qualify for Kona mm-hmm. off them two races. 
there was similar thinking to when I was like cycling, like you had the category systems and people would go around doing loads of races, trying to get the points to move up the category because they thought that would be a, they'd, they'd be a better rider mm. just because they've, they've got a category in. I thought with um, triathlon, you get loads of people that go around doing as many races as they can to try and scrape through on the point system to qualify. And I didn't want to be one of them people. And I thought if I'm good enough to, to be at Kona, I'll, I'll qualify off them two races. Mm. And um, if I'm not good enough, then, well, I'd, I would have gone and done Weymouth and Barcelona again at the end of the year. Mm. So, um, so Texas sounded like it was an interesting build-up in terms of uh, firstly just getting there and getting enough money to actually make it across there. Uh, and it also sounded like... Uh, while she got second, which was a fantastic race, uh, sounded like a pretty tough day at the office. Yeah, yeah, Texas. That that was that was make or break, really. Uh, I could literally uh, had to put all my uh, eggs in in that basket and um, and and go there. And uh, for 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 me, the motivation was like in 2014. I ended up me and a friend got in contact with this local running legend from where we live called Paul Evans. Um, he started running at 26, and three years later made the Olympic Games for 10,000 meters. Wow. Run like 20. Yeah, 27 minutes he ran after wow. three years of running. Unbelievable. Um, oh, that is unbelievable. Yeah, he did two one Chicago marathon as well. Really? Uh, and he yeah, started running at 26. 26. Yeah, he's a footballer, and he, he did his first 10k. Did 33 minutes in foot in like astroturf and football kit. Far <laughs> um, <laughs> out. Wow. So, we got in contact with him, wanted to, wanted to meet him um, to like just get some of the training advice and stuff and stuff like that, and just see what his story was. And um, he said to me, like the big decision came when he was um, when he was running. There was this like relay race in um, England, which was like I think it was like fifteen or sixteen stages, but it was almost like Tour de France kind of thing. But for running, you know, like different yeah. stages each day, various lengths. And he said at that time there was loads of prize money for it. And he wanted to go, and he told his work that he wanted to go, and they said, no, you're not having three weeks off to go and do that. Um, and his agent got back in co- contact with him later on and said, like, England have had a, a team member drop out. Do you want to do this? Do you, do you want to do this race? And he's like, I told you, I can't do it. And the guy told him the money. And he said, well, the simple thing came down to um, to myself was, do I believe in myself? Like, if I think I'm good enough, then, um, then I've got to go um, and race it and uh, quit my job. And if I don't think I'm good enough, then I'm wasting my time putting all this effort in. I, uh, that stuck with me. And um, yeah, going into Texas, I kind of thought, well, if you're good, and if you think you're good enough and you believe in yourself, then put all your eggs in one basket and go there. And mm. if you don't think you're good enough, then you're wasting your time and you just well, you're wasting um, other people's time who are there like supporting you, like your parents and stuff like that. And I thought, just go there. If you let them like say, yeah, if you if you're good enough, and uh, you you you'll get the result, and um, and that could be the start of something. Nice. Um, and so you, you finished second place there. Uh, you had a, I think it was a third Ironman UK. Um, so were you pretty confident after that that you you had the points to get in? Yeah, yeah, I was confident uh, that I had the points to get in. Um, I was I was absolutely gutted though with third place at Ironman UK. Like I'm still gutted. I just can't <laughs> even bring myself to watch the show. <laughs> what 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 happened? Just do I really want to win it? Like oh, okay. more than anything. And were just, you close yeah. or was it uh, probably close in Ironman times? Like if you think about like six, seven minutes or whatever. But in actual times when you're on the road, it seems like an eternity, doesn't it? When you pass someone at the turnaround and they're like, and it's another three minutes till you get to the turnaround thing and then start heading back. Um, 
But I, I used to live around there. Like when I was at uni, it was only like the course was only about 15 miles away from where you were there. And you got all your friends. I had like 15, 16 people make a trip up from lowest after and it was just like just yeah a massive race for me and you know it's like when you've got a big goal and you don't achieve it it's just yeah. disappointing isn't it yeah. so in terms of you you've, it sounds like you've been self-coached um whilst getting advice from other people self-coached um as you sort of made your way through your career when you've seen other people train you know what sort of does does what is what you're doing seem similar to what other people are doing, or do you have you do you think you've got your own training methods that, that work really well for you? Um, I think other people's, especially the ones that do Ironman, a lot of them seem like they tra- train a bit different. Like there's there's aspects that are the same. Like everyone obviously does like their long run and their long bike ride because I think that's like crucial really. Um, but a lot with regards to the speed work, especially for running, a lot of them don't do the track tracks work on the track and stuff like that and I for me that's a big part of um of my training and also like the long tempo type sessions long hard tempo threshold run sessions and similar with the bike really um but I mean I've seen spoke to so many people and everyone seems like they train a bit different um and I think for me it's just taking speaking to people and seeing what what they do what you think sounds quite good trying it in your own training and if it thinks it works keep it and um if it doesn't then get rid of it and try something something else regards to Kona do you change anything you know you're Kona came up in a few weeks has, has anything changed in your approach to how you coach yourself towards that race um no like I I got into a training plan from like after I'm in UK um where like because I every after every race uh, I'll look at my training and I'll, I'll I'll look at how the race went how I felt like um, and I'll, I'll think about what I did, what I thought I did well, and what I think I was lacking, and look at the numbers and everything like that. And I'll tinker with my training, and um, so every four weeks, and I'll try and make it better going into each race. So I got into a, after I ran UK, I looked at the race, looked at other races, what I'd done, and I got set myself up a training plan, and I've just been uh, doing that from uh, since I ran UK. So like actually since I've like, come out to Kona, it hasn't changed, and it's not much different than. Um, than what I was doing leading into Texas, just a little tinkering what you think, where you think you can do things better. Uh, and, and you recently did a hundred mile um, UK TT, won it, and, won it, and I, know, I know Lucy won the, the girls as well. And we kind of go look at it, go, wow, hundred mile time trial, that's incredible. But at the same time, we should really be looking at it, going, well, we kind of ride longer than that in Ironman anyway. But. Ha- what, what's it sort of like doing a 100-mile time trial? You know, it, it is different to doing 180 kilometres on the bike in Ironman when you're riding at a fairly controlled effort. Um, how, how do you sort of approach that? Um, well, I just carried on training through it, like, because um, it was just part of my Kona build-up. Um, the course, what it was on, is really um, boring as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably quite good training for an Ironman because... It's, uh, mentally I think it's a lot harder because you don't sit you're not in it you're never getting any packs you all start off at minute intervals and it's literally just out and back it was out out two out and backs on a dual carriage it was just uh, boring um, <laughs> if you're feeling good like if you're tapered for it you'd probably be actually quite enjoying it because you'd have a sense of going fast and uh, you'd feel like you were like putting some good power up but when you're doing it in a big training block then your legs feel like lead um you don't really want to be on that on that motorway. I mean, for training for Kona, that was absolutely brilliant because for me, I wanted to try and put like I obviously wanted to try and treat it as going as hard as I could, see what power I could hold for it, mm. and then no matter what, go for a run afterwards. 
mm. because I wanted to get to the end feeling like I couldn't run and that I really, really didn't want to run and then force myself to run and see how um, how it felt because I thought if I can do a good run feeling like that, then in the race it's going to give you a lot of confidence as you come like to the last 40, 50 miles and like you want to like keep the effort on or like you're struggling because you know that in training you've done some really tough bike rides and then managed to put together a pretty like decent run despite feeling like you you wouldn't have been able to run before you started mm. and how did you feel coming off the bike oh i felt um just really fatigued like uh just drained and i was in the car i mean i put i uploaded some videos uh from Facebook, my dad was there. He was helping me out with uh, like support and stuff. So I got in the camera and I said, "Just get a video of me when I uh, get to the finish, because I want to like that. That's uh, you can see really how someone feels because you've had no time to adjust or get there and everything. So he just shoved the camera in and was like, "How was it?" Um, and uh, I was just getting getting ready to go for the run. I was, uh, yeah, I thought I really don't want to do. It. I really can't bother to do this run now. <laughs> and how'd the run go? It went really well, better oh, than the oh. time trial. Oh. I did. Uh, Eight miles at just under six minute mile, and so uh, I was really good. Well, regards to the, the, the hundred mile, were you were you going in it to win it, or was it purely just a training day and you kind of managed to win it? Well, I didn't actually win it. I was third place. Oh, um, oh we thought but, you. Um, no, no, I didn't actually win it. I got third, um, but I was just going there to just uh, just uh, as a hard effort because you're putting yourself on on the line, aren't you, when you turn up to a race like that? Yeah. Everyone. Everyone's looking at your times, and they think, "Oh, this is what this guy's fresh. This is this is what this is all he's got," kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, don't like doing the time trials because to other people it looks like they're not actually going that well. Well, when if they'd have done the same training as what I'd have done, like if a lot of people do the same training, like do that who are fresh, do that training leading into the week, then I think they'd realise it's a completely different ball game. Mm. Now, when it comes to to Kona, you know, we've seen some, you know, especially in the recent years, we've seen some really good, strong riders. You know, you have guys like Starkowitz, Mikey Twelsick, and, and guys like that who, who really go out there and, and push hard on the bike um, and often end up exploding on the run. But at the same time, we've seen guys like Luke McKenzie and um, Freddie Van Laird, you know, bike hard and then still hang, hang tough on the run. So... Um, without giving away all your secrets, because we know that uh, all the Top Guns listen to the show, um, what's your sort of strategy for the bike in general? You, you know, do you plan on just riding up to the group and ride, trying to smash straight past them, or do you have any particular strategies you want to share, or is it all top secret? Yeah, well, I'll, um, hopefully, I want to have a good have a good swim, and uh, if I could get out of the water with the, the the ideal plan would be getting out of the water with Sebastian Keenly. Um, and then just staying with him on the bike. Uh, mm. I mean, it sounds easy like that, but <laughs> <laughs> but that would be like the ideal plan. And then get on the run, see see how you how uh, just give it your all really, and see see what you got. Um, but if that doesn't happen, then I mean, I always try and think of the like play the tactics as the race goes along, depending on like who's up the road, who you get out the water with. Um, like if I, if I can get if there's a few of us who are good on the bike and we can get together and take it in turns then uh, I'll definitely be uh, be up for doing that but mm. if not I'm kind of torn in two minds at the moment because obviously everyone says that they drill it at the start of the bike um, mm. and then fade in the later half and I'm I mean you, like if you train with power or you race with power you know that that's so much slower at getting from A to B isn't it if you go mm. like mm. 20 30 watts harder for the first half and then end up putting 30 40 watts below your target for the for the second half but then it's like if you do that first half hard and you end up getting onto the back of a group then it has paid off but if it doesn't then um 
you're going to get to trend, you're going to be a lot more cooked to start on the run and you've probably gone slower on the bike so I'm in two minds as to whether to just pace it at a decent power output because I think if I do an average paced ride like with power it would be a decent average speed and I've looked at the times what other people have done in the past and I think that could put me right up there mm. and I'd start the run a lot fresher so it's kind of in two minds at the moment as to how to play it, how to play it. Mm. Now, what's what's Lucy? You know, obviously Lucy helped you out early on when you and encouraged you to, to race pro. Um, so Lucy Gossett, she did not have a, a pleasant time at it last year. What what experiences has she shared with you about um, her her time over in Kona last year? Well, for, for her, her, I did, her um, race was a lot different than mine because the the age groupers start just behind the women I mm. think don't they yeah so what ruined her race was loads of age groupers coming off and then they have to ha- they keep diff- their um pace lot or their 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 um drafting distance is smaller than what the pros are mm. so they were kind of like jumping in the gap with her and another uh, another pro and then she said she'd have to keep like freewheeling and easing up and then like mm. try- it was really hard to actually ride at the power what you knew you could so she says that she's going to go a lot harder at the start because otherwise you get basically invaded by all these age groupers and um, you can't you end up not riding the ride what you know you can do mm. whereas for me we start I think like 25 30 minutes don't we ahead yeah. of uh, like well 25 minutes ahead of the women and 30 minutes ahead of the age group so we're not really going to have anyone come up on come up on us so uh, like it's a bit different but yeah um, if she'd had the good run I mean I'm sure I'd have got a lot more in advice on um how hard the run is but i did a long run the other day um from here and went in and like trying to do it at, like the time i'd be running in race day went to the energy lab and all that and um yeah it was, it was hot <laughs> <laughs> so you, how long have you been in kona and um and yeah, what have your experiences on the course so far been um i've been here since tuesday mm-hmm. the bike course is it's one what i'd like during the race like a bit undulating um nice smooth roads um it's that but the wind can like it seems like there's no pattern to the wind like people say ride the bike at what time you're gonna be doing it on race day to because the winds are quite similar but i've rode it a few times at like, around the same time one day it's a tailwind one direction a massive tailwind yesterday i went out when it seemed like it was a headwind both directions i mean it's, <laughs> it seems like it does anything um but yeah it's quite boring to train on like the first part of the queen k but I'm sure on race day, when you've got the motivation and everyone's there, it'll be it just flies by. Yeah. Um, the run course, I like I like the run course, but it's more undulating than what I actually thought. Like when you see it on, and same with the bike course, when you see it on TV, you don't realise that it's there's quite a lot of little undulations, nothing massive, mm. but it's it's almost constantly up and up and down, small ones. Um, mm. Hydration definitely for me is going to be massive. Like yesterday on the bike, I had eight bottles and I still felt really thirsty. Um, after after I'd finished and um, on the run, I I drove out before I did it the other day. Put a couple of bottles out um, at various points, and um, I had two bottles and and um, I, there was this these Hawaiians having a party at the energy lab. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I managed to get a load of uh, water off them. Um, so I probably had about three liters on tw- twenty mile run. And that when I got back again, like that felt like it was like no, I could have drank a lot more. So yeah, I'm gonna have to drink a, a lot during that race. And Are you a big race. unit? What's that? Are you a big unit? Are you a big guy? <laughs> uh, about seventy five, seventy six kilos, six yeah. foot. Okay. So probably reason reasonably big, I think, for the heat. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, um, so in terms of, you know, you made it to Kona now, um, it's been a pretty interesting journey. You've, you've talked about mum and dad helping you out. Um, in terms of people want to follow you or any other people that you specifically want to thank, um, now is your opportunity. Yeah, well, my mum and dad, uh, as you said, uh, my girlfriend probably for putting up with me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, all my sponsors uh, have been with me. Uh, Cliff Bar have been with me from, from the start. They were actually my first sponsor. Um, Boardman Bikes, um, Hoob Wetsuits, Mail Big File. Like, I got them in 2012 when I was um, getting the start there, and they were actually like my first sponsor that gave me some money. Nice. Which um, that actually I should have said that at the time because that made it. They paid for all my like travel expenses, nice. Um, which was huge getting to the race and everything. And obviously, any prize money you got was like you could actually use towards living costs and everything like that. So, mm. without them, I definitely wouldn't be uh, where I am now. Um, and um, yeah, wrote uh, all basically just all, all my all my sponsors and people can see that if they go on my like who they are if they go on my website uh, mm. joeskipper.co.uk and. Uh, yeah, people want to find see training videos of what I do and everything. Follow my athlete page because I'm always uploading them while I'm out here and just generally back home. So the main question I have is, I went to your website. It seems like you're a part-time supermodel. <laughs> 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 what's, the, what's the story of that? I was I was getting my website done. Like I, it's uh, and um, I've got like, I think I've got some more. Like I still just need to quickly check my website because I don't. Last time I went on that, the new one hadn't been done. Um, but oh yeah, the guy who was doing my website said you need to get some casual photos done, so you're not like not all your pictures are in uh, like um, uh, in race kit or in races. Yeah. So I um, yeah uh, yeah looking at my website now, it's, the, the new one's not done. Like the new one's got got more. Like yeah. that. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> so, so God knows what you'd have, you'd have got, you'd had a bit if you'd have seen the, the new one. But yeah, so basically said you need to get some you need to get some new. Uh, photos of you and casual stuff so I got some um, but my sister's a photographer so she took the ones in sports stuff I think where I was on the beach and stuff like that nice tell you mate if, if, the, if this triathlon doesn't work out there's another career it's an obvious choice you've got the pensive mate, look you've nailed it mate it's amazing what you can do with photoshop that's what I'll leave it <laughs> and uh, is pink your pink your favourite colour that, well that was male big file their yeah. colour was pink and they said to me when I first started like would you would you will we'll, we'll sponsor you but will you wear a pink kit? And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll wear a pink kit. And then uh, I got loads of support in the races. Like, everyone always notices you because I suppose there's no other blokes that are running around in, like, a pink kit. So yeah. you, they, they'd know every time when you came around for a lap and you get so much support. I just thought, actually, this is quite good. Cause good it strategy. Out, you get, yeah, you get loads of support. So I've, I've kept with it ever since now, and now they don't even say anything. Like, I just get it in pink every year. But... <laughs> Yeah, that was their idea at the start. Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, no, we, we love uh, hearing from newbies who are in Kona for the first time. Um, and you're going to have some experienced people around you while you're over there as well, which would be great. And, uh, yeah, we just look forward to Good seeing luck. you dropping the hammer on the bike. And, um, you know, you, you, you pommies have had some awesome results in the females, awesome results at ITU distance. But um, yet to see anybody really crack it in Kona. Spencer Smith got sort of close-ish, but... Um, yeah, be good. Well, guys wise. Guys wise. Yeah. Be a good time to see somebody get right up there. So have a fantastic day. Yeah, Cheers, guys. <laughs> yeah. And um, enjoy the rest of your time in Kona. Yeah, thanks, Cheers, mate. thanks. Yeah, thanks very much. Cheers. Part time supermodel, John. Part
part-time supermodel. Part-time, because you go to his website and it's obviously been, the photos just been, so you go to front page and it's just lots of photos of it's him a being a supermodel. Yeah. You kind of go, what's all that about? And I think uh, he's just, he just posted them all at once and yeah. he's part-time supermodel, but he pulls it off. Yeah, he's got the, he's got the model look. He's got the model look. Joe, ladies. You're listening, Joe. There is some money in modeling, Bevan. Yeah, yeah I, make, I make at least $1,000 a year off it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, I think it, yeah I'm really intrigued to see how he goes over there because he has shown pretty consistent performer consistent smashing it on the bike um, and yeah just guys like him and Dylan McNeese and stuff like that who perform really well in these other races see what it's like on the big stage where do you think Dylan's going to go? I really don't know I hope he just paces his way through the day and I think he is, again, is top 10? top 10 would be a really good result um, but he's got the again he's got the capacity to do it absolutely He's a pretty wise athlete, but he races smart. Mm. You don't see Dylan blowing up. Like, the reason he wins for that road race is he's obviously a good pedigree, mm. but also has the ability to kind of race a smart race. Mm. I think the thing with, with Dylan for me is that, you know, he had a great Auckland 70.3, I think it was the start of this year, and he really showed that when he's got his run on, he can really run now. Yeah. So, I'd yeah. love to see him get top 10. He'll, he'll need to, you know, he'll, he'll be leading, if not leading out of the swim, he'll be the first one or two. Do you think he chases the swim just because it's good for his profile? No, he's just a good swimmer. I know, but do you think he'll chase it if it... Um, you know what I mean? Like, cause, possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I certainly would if I was in his shoes. Yeah. It, it, without being stupid, if, yeah. you, if you're coming into the last 100 metres and you're swimming with three other guys, yes, I'd go for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he'll, he'll need to run a sort of two fifty-five to have an off a good bike, and he could be there or thereabouts. So, yeah, Joe Skipper. Game on, game on. Okay, here uh, we did it. Sponsor, uh, Extreme Endurance. Sorry, John, it's your lactic buffer. And tell is, me about it. It is your lactic buffer, and you've got the standard Extreme Endurance, which we all. Love had someone uh, had uh, good old Sarah Helmore pop around you. I don't know if you met Sarah before. No, what's, what's her name? She, Sarah. Sarah Helmore. Oh, Facebook stalker. Yeah. Let's have a look. She's, Sarah. How do you spell last name? She she will have done actually um, the spring challenge last weekend. Oh. And she'd heard me talking last week uh, or a couple was that of weeks weekend, ago. Was it? Well, it was. We're, okay, yeah. we're recording how do you spell in the future. H e l m o r e. Helmore. Here we go, Sarah Helmore. And I know you love Facebook. You can stalk the crap out of anyone. She's. Oh, I know Sarah. Yeah. I've known Sarah for years. Yeah? Yeah. But you say that about all the girls. Oh, she's a good chick. Um, she used to come to the gym years ago. And then she, I think she played rugby, did she? Yeah, she was yeah. a rugby and, and cricket. Then, and she's always, she's a bloody good person at helping you guys out at races. Yep, she is. Yeah, Sarah's a great chick. Yeah. So she's got Spring Challenge coming up, which is a female-only sort of team race. And she's getting a little nervous a few days out from the event. She gives me a call. I need some extreme endurance. <laughs> Got to have something to get me uh, get me both. So I said, look, it worked for me last week. I was just taking it for three, three, three days, I think it was, before my 10K race. And I really think it gave me a nice little boost. So check that out, xendurance.com. Also, if you guys that maybe have some gut issues and stuff they've also got a fantastic probiotic got 25 billion viable probiotic cultures of 10 strains of beneficial bacteria how do they count that sorry how do you think they count that oh they just have uh, this is someone's job they've done that they've sat there 25 <laughs> billion so, <laughs> years of product development it was just a guy counting yeah <laughs> so check it out 24.95 on xendurance.com if you've got somebody who's had some troubles with your stomach or you just want a nice healthy guts get on it xendurance.com probiotic there we go someone's still counting for that cause so make sure you get on it okay Jombo um, that's pretty much it we're not doing questions and answers are we no not even doing patrons this week oh, we've What's your goss, John? What's your goss? Or oh, sponsors? Well, 
uh, ethlinks.com. So you're looking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Like the buffer. If you don't want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. It's a way of supporting the show. If you think we're worth, you know, bring some value to your life. We mm. think we bring a lot of value to your life. Yeah. Uh, maybe you want to support the show. So go to www.imtalk.me. What were you going to say, John? I was going to say, uh, I've been lobbying for our, oh, been new, lobbying? our new start music that you keep, oh, yeah, you keep yeah. refusing to, yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to come. You don't even use half the tunes that the, the good fellas come oh, I, up with. I, I, I try to. The tunes, in, I like his tunes. I'm not no, so keen on the start music. You're not trying hard enough. I love the start music. And another good reason to have the new start music, uh, Julia Jones popped us a little posts on our Facebook page. Uh, she got publicity email from Mark Allen and his YouTube recognising some music on there. So Mark Allen's... He's copying us. He's, he's copying us. But he's do you know why that's good? What do people think of when they hear that? Mm. They think of us. They think Mark Allen's such a copycat. We need some fresh stuff. Oh, John, that's our iconic music. It's oh, a brand, John. Anyway, it's coming up Re- 10 years. Remember that time you did the intro at the start when I was away? Mm. It just—it's just a bit odd, right. you know. Okay. You know, it just there's, there's the things. There's part of the show that just—it's consistency. People want to know consistency in their life. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning, do you have the same routine. See. Oh, listen to that. Oh, listen to that. It's great music. Who's that? Is that Bevan and John? Oh, Bevan and John. Mark. What? No, it's Mark. What? I'll kind of show you through the steps of how you actually make a training program at MarkAllenCoaching.com. Oh. They should be paying us royalties. Middle East royalty free music. That's why he's using it. But. Oh, microphone's everywhere now. Mark's just telling us how we log into his website, markallencoaching.com. Where do people use that? Sorry? Markallen.com. Well, it's a, it's a new platform now. Oh, is it really? He's yeah, it up he's, he used to have it with, with, that, with that other dude. And I think oh, so he stopped there, has he? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's, Wonder why. There's a story for you, probably. There's a story for you. Get the inside goss on that one. Team, if you don't like our Facebook page, like our Facebook page. Don't dislike it. Oh, is it <laughs> when, out when the, I don't know if it's out yet. No, but the th- I don't think it's going to be so bad because people's names are on it. Right. Because like when you can anonymously dislike things and be critical, yeah. people will be very scathing. Mm. Whereas if, if you if your own name on it, mm. you're a bit more cautious about how you're going to be critical of other things. So it's just we're just about at 5,000 likes. I know. It's cool. Yeah, well, we'll get it up there. Get the 5,000. We're not quite there. Okay. So like our page. Yes. Joe, do you like our page? Do you like our page, babe? Bloody well better. Yeah, Joe would have. Because she loves me. Yes. And anything I do, she loves. Hey, babe. Yeah. See? There That's why go. she's marrying me. <laughs> That's why she's my fiance. Yeah. Right. What's your gosh, John? Uh, Blinda, I couldn't believe it. Blinda won the Able Tasman race at the weekend. I heard, John, I, had my money on. I heard she actually, what happened was her and Jim were coming in for the finish. Yeah. She did the old Richie McCaw. Yeah. Angle tap. Angle tap. <laughs> Jim went down like a sack of potatoes. Jim <laughs> didn't even finish the race. Five minutes to go to the finish line. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I'm so proud of her. She's winning the so race. So proud of her. So proud of the trip. That actually leads me to another story. Here we go. So we had uh, several weeks ago. We had the JD Duathlon round two, the one that didn't get cancelled. Yep. And starting the kids race, and so I have Thomas and Felicity in the kids race. We probably get about twenty kids doing it. That's it's all it's fun. very good fun. And you know what kids are like? They just crack it at the beginning. Yeah. And then <laughs> they're good they're for slowly. twenty meters. But Thomas is usually really good with his pacing. For some stupid reason, at this race, it didn't have the same atmosphere because we weren't allowed to use any sounds or anything in this park oh, we were yeah. using. And so where I was standing, where I was actually starting them, it was just kind of me and the kids, a couple of parents, and it was kind of like just standing there. It's like death silence. And so I thought I'd do Should a... Have f- got me to come along? 
even even then, I'd be get, then I'd get sound complaints. Well, you say well, I can't help someone talking. I will. I, I still think I'd get complaints. Yeah, you would have me. I'm, I'm allowed. And so I thought I'll I'll do a five, four, three, two, one countdown. Yeah. And I've never done. I I know that's a stupid thing to do when you're starting a race, especially with kids. Especially with kids. Five, four, three, two. Thomas goes on two. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I always tell people when I coach. Always go on two. I've never. I don't think I've ever said it to Thomas. We've got these pictures at the start, and he's like. Two metres in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling over. I, I did have a little uh, megaphone going, Thomas, you cheat. What do you know? <laughs> At the start of the run. It was very funny. He went on two, though. Oh, but God. Karma's Karma's. Oh, I remember racing with you, and, and I learned that pretty quickly in the swim. Uh, yeah. Your always goes early. Mm. You always go early. You've got to yeah. have the. You've got to be on your game. Oh, that's right. But Karma was, good, it was a bad thing for him that day because he didn't end up having his best race. So mm. came back to bite him in the bum. Because he went out early, he thought he had to hold it for the whole end and it didn't mm. happen. Jobbo, do you know what we did the other night, which I, which I haven't done in a long time? Had fish and chips. Mm. Do you like your fish and chips? I do. Don't necessarily like the... Uh, I love them. Absolutely love them. After effects, if you, you eat too many. in your mouth? Yeah. Oh, it's good for you. I haven't had fish and chips in probably a couple of years. When you get high quality fish and chips, that's pretty awesome. No lies, man. We got high quality. Joe got this crumbed fish that big. Mm. Like I'm not exaggerating. Great, pod, great podcasting. Oh, seriously, guys, it's the size of I don't know a thirty centimeter ruler. Yeah, you know, like pretty impressive. Yeah. When you go to fish and chips, what do you get? Uh, depends if you got prior knowledge or not of the of the fish and chip shop. Yes. Okay. Let's say you got prior knowledge. What will you get? Obviously some chips. If you can get a really good hot dog, I love a good hot dog. But it's got to be a, de- a nice sausage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. love getting your lips around that nice sausage. Yeah. Uh, Can't uh, be a good hot dog. Anything else? Oh, fish is always good. I go fish, hot dog, donut. Yeah, donuts. <laughs> donuts are gold, aren't they? Mm. Oh, when I was younger, there was a place called Nosebags. Do you remember nose bags? No. Nose bags was an iconic, and this is when I was into my wacky becky kind of lifestyle. And so the thing about wacky becky lifestyle, John, is you really appreciate food. Mm. Like you really appreciate food. And there's a place called Nose Bags, and you get a three dollar hot dog back in the, you know the nineties. That was a lot for a hot dog. Oh yeah, equivalent of probably six dollars nowadays. And it was probably about that thick. Yeah. And about that big. Yeah. And you used that Whitaker's chutney sauce. Oh. <laughs> Satisfaction. Huh. The challenge was because you do two nose bags, hot dogs. Oh, oh I can't, can't believe I never knew, knew about this place. Oh, it was, it was iconic. Was it in your neck of the woods, was it? No, it originally was out in New Brighton. We used to drive to New Brighton and get nose bags. And then, he, then he'd go, he actually moved to Rickerton. Mm-hmm. But you, it was, everyone, admittedly, in that certain world that I lived in at yeah. that time, it was very iconic. There was a certain smell that surrounded the shop. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny, John. No, that's not a question for the show. Kona is only a couple of weeks away now. It's pretty exciting times. What are you going to do on race day? Probably do a big trainer session. What, day, trainer is, what session. day is it? It's Sunday our time. What time? Or what date? The 11th New Zealand Sorry. time. I think it's the 10th over there. So, big trainer session. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure it out. Mm. Come doing a trainer with you. We could, put, we could do some live broadcasting. Not live broadcasting, but we're going to need to pre-record a few shows for when well, you're we, away. We, technically, we can do live now because mm. we're not signing the... Well, if we find a venue, we could have a bit of a Christchurch wind trainer session for a few hours and you can get some uh, some Christchurch listeners on the show. Yep. Yep. Are you coordinate that, John? Yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. garage? Yeah. That fits about five. Yep. There you go. Right. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.